Matt from the Beer Massive podcast, also Massive Beers, um, back after a long hiatus. We uh, put the plug on the podcast pretty much when the pandemic rolled around, strictly because this podcast has been a face-to-face -face endeavor. Typically, almost 99% of the uh, the audio recordings and videos we've shot on here have been sitting across from a table and actually enjoying a beer with the people that we're talking with. Um, and, you know, COVID put a kibosh on that. So I figured, put a pin in it, and let's see this pandemic through and then jump back into that face-to-face -face format. Well, it's been over a year. And that podcast itch needs to be scratched. So we are bringing it back with full force. But we're going to do a little bit of kind of digital online hangs before we delve back into the face-to-face -face, because we're still knee-deep in that pandemic. So we're going to do an online hangout, Zoom calls, those kind of things, and, and just sitting down with the people that I like to read, drink, think about when it comes to beer. It's not just breweries or, or brewers or even at this point journalists, you know. You know, everybody in between, we're going to cover, you know, uh, brewery owners, uh, beer tubers, uh, Instagrammers, people in social media, stuff like that. There is no uh, kind of boundary when it comes to that stuff. So if somebody has an interesting story to tell, an interesting uh, product that they produce, we'll, we'll try and sit down with them, have a conversation, enjoy some beer. Albeit digitally, but it can be fun too. We're all used to that nowadays. So first episode up, we have Zach. Yeah, Zach from Marlowe. Artisan Ales, Zach Ross, he is um, a brewer um, that uh, honestly is one of my uh, kind of favorite breweries going uh, at the moment. Lower ABV, crushable, drinkable ales and lagers. You know, I reached out to a couple of different people when I started to get this podcast back up and running, and he was honestly top of mind. We're going to sit down with him for about an hour or so, talk about beer, talk about what he does up there, um, brewing out of 12% beer project. Enjoy a couple beers along the way. So hopefully you guys enjoy this uh, first inaugural um, new season of the Beer Massive podcast. The rate and subscribe and all that kind of fun stuff. More importantly, the people that we do kind of showcase on here, visit them. Um, visit them both physically and digitally. You know, subscribe to them on Instagram, Facebook, all that kind of fun stuff. And, and if you are privy to their beers and, and have the option to uh, drink their beers or watch their content or, or um, uh, read what they've written, uh, please do so. Because that's the whole purpose of this is just to spread good people doing good things in the beer world. So, yeah, without further ado, here we go. Well, Zach Ross from Marlowe Artisan Ales. Cheers. What's going on, guys? Uh, Beer Massive Podcast, back from a little bit of a hiatus. We're doing the old COVID thing, and last time we were on on here, we're, I, I believe we are talking to Shelton Brothers, which a lot has happened with them since uh, since then, but uh, we are not talking them. We're talking a little bit different beer. Uh, we're talking with um, Zach Ross. Um, it's the brewer and owner of Marlowe Ales and the head brewer of 12% Beer Project, correct? Yep, that's me. What's going on, homie? Just living the dream. Yeah. Having a beer. Yeah. You know, I know what you mean. What are you drinking? Uh, just a little eager to share. See, I was gonna, I was gonna pull my eager to share out in, in a little bit. It's one of my favorite beers um, going right now. One of the reasons why I was gonna, one of the reasons I reached out to talk to you because I think that beer is absolutely fantastic. Thank and you. that's not me just buttering you up for the sake of yeah. sake of making you happy. It's genuinely, sure. uh, yeah. <laughs> no, man. Like, um, uh, one of the reasons why I reached out to you and I wanted to talk to you is, um, 
you you uh you seem like you really dig on that low ABV crusher game. And while a lot of people do that do that and you do do bigger beers, you know what I mean? It seems like that mid fives to mid sixes is kind of an area you like to live in. Is mm-hmm. that that has to be purposeful, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would even go low, a little bit lower than that. You know, three to three to six is like my preferred comfort zone. Um, it's definitely a challenging place to be as a brewer because you have to be technically spot on um, every mm-hmm. time you do it. There isn't a whole lot to hide behind, um, and it's more about nuance and um, and balance when it comes when it comes down to it. So, challenging myself as a professional. It's also the beers that I want to drink. You know, I don't want to drink one beer and, and chew on it and have that be a meal. Um, I want yeah. it something that I can pair with food because I love food. You know, I love to eat. So I could see my, you know, if I could make a beer that would be served at like a place like Blue Hill, like that's the dream for me. It's like this is something that somebody who knows way more about food and beer than me paired these two together because they feel like it, it complements each other. So that's what I want. Where's that? Where's that born from? Is this a natural instinct of you liking low ABV, or is it a matter of brewing for so many years? Because I mean, you were you know Ken Falls for so long, and you're down uh, down south for a bit. And is it just a matter of you've always kind of kind of died on that low ABV hill, or is it something that you kind of work towards uh, just loving? I think a lot of it stems from my time at Ken Falls. Um, it's something that Barry, the owner there, really kind of harped on. Um, you know, obviously the higher ABV beers sell a lot better. And so um, they were willing to take that hit on a lot of their sales just by making drinkable beers. The simple farm life um, matches very well with that. And that's kind of like you slow things down a little bit and you're just sitting there enjoying uh, a beer outside of a field or inside a barn with friends and you're talking and you can sit there for hours. And you know, being there and, and experiencing that over and over and over again, I was like, this is what I want. If I'm going to create anything, I want to create this experience or at least attempt to create a similar experience. And then like, um, when you started off before you even went to Ken Falls, like what was your, what was, like, where did you live in the beer world? Like, as far as like what you drank and, and, and whatnot, like did that shape, like before you actually got there, what were you into? And then how did that shape bef- when you got into brewing? Not that you didn't brew before Ken Falls, but you know what I mean? Like, what did you drink before you became professional? Uh, I mean, everything, honestly. It was like yeah. when I was at The Answer, people would, I mean, it was such a hot spot because it's Mekong's brewery, essentially, yeah. you know, right next door. So people were always doing bottle shares. We'd have people show up at seven or eight in the morning after they'd get off their night shift and show up during a brew day and be like, Hey, you want to try this beer? You want to try this beer? <laughs> um, so it was just that whole year that I was there, I drank so much beer. I put on so much weight. I mean, I think I, I'm 200 pounds right now and I was 60 pounds heavier than I am right now. Just, and I, and I think I was 190 before I went there and like, it was just, I gained 70 pounds and went <laughs> within one year because I was drinking so much beer all the time. Everything that anyone would put in front of me, I was like, oh, I got to try this. Oh, I got to try this. Oh, I got to try this. Um, And I think that's where a lot of my palate comes from, is just being able to experience a lot in a very short amount of time. So I wouldn't like pigeonhole myself into anything uh, prior to Kent Falls. I was just drinking to, you know, expose my palate to as much as possible and discover what I wanted out of beer. Nice. The, um, what was that transition like though, going from Ken Falls to down south and then back up? Is is twelve percent and Marlowe what brought you back up north? Yeah. 
And yeah. how did that, how did that kind of come about? Was it, was it, um, did you go to 12% um, in, 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 in turn Marlow? For those who don't know, it's basically 12% beer project is a bunch of brewers collectively in a, in a, in a brewing area and Marlow is its own entity within that. Um, was that kind of that, what's the word I'm looking for? Cause that's a dream scenario. You know yeah. what I mean? Getting the kind of brew and do what you want to do and have that kind of leeway in a big facility like that and then be able to bounce stuff off other people and be able to just get reps. You know what I mean? On what right. you want to do in and outside of your beer. Was that just, that was too good to pass up and that's why you came back up this way? Uh, I mean, I was dating somebody up here and so there was a, a heavy motivation for me to, to move up. Um, and so Brandon, who was at the answer, who I was his assistant brewery as the head brewer, um, called me up and said, Hey, uh, would you want to move back to New England? And I was like, Yeah, this is what exactly what I'm trying to do right now. Um, he's like, Would you want to move back to Connecticut? And I was like, That's exactly where I'm trying to go. He's like, I'm opening up this brand, uh, which is short throw. And um, would you want to be the head brewer at this place? They're looking for a head brewer. Like, would you want to put your name into the ring and see what happens? And I was like, Yeah, but I'd, I would want to do that if I could open up my own brand as well. So, he got me in touch, you know, 10 minutes later with Alex Blank, who um, is one of the owners of, of 12%. And, you know, we got to talking over the weekend or the next few weeks, actually, where it was like, this is kind of what I want, um, what I want to do with the brand that I would open. It didn't have a name at that, at that time. I would, it'd be so far off what everybody else is doing um, that I think it would, it would help the 12% brand as a whole it would fill that niche that you don't you don't currently have so uh just pitched that to him and he he took that home and thought about it and came back to me and was like yeah i think this is a, a good thing for both of us so like let's let's roll forward with it and it is it honestly is a dream scenario i think it's awesome <laughs> <laughs> it's okay to enjoy and smile and love all yeah. that kind of stuff uh then marlo what's where's that name come from you said you didn't have a name when you were going into it where'd that come from so i mean I was at uh, I was at the Voodoo. There's a Voodoo in in Meadville, Pennsylvania, which is where I grew up. It's where my parents live. Uh, yeah, they have a good vibes festival. Area. Yeah, they have a good vibes festival every year. So that's where I was when this whole discussion happened. Um, so we were talking. You know, it's like if I could open up a brand, what would I want to call it? And I was running through you know a hundred different names, and I knew I wanted it to be something close and personal to me. Uh, I have this habit of kind of getting two years into a, a project and then just getting bored with it and moving on to the next thing. Um, it's just my ADD personality. And like, I feel like I've mastered a certain to a certain point and it's like, all right, on to the next thing. What, what else can I find? Um, and so I wanted to mitigate that aspect of it for myself, you know, kind of inhibit, I know myself. So I wanted to inhibit that for me and make this a long-term thing. So I was like, I know I want it to be personal. I know I want it to be uh, family-oriented because I'm very close with my family. And just running through a bunch of different uh, ideas and, you know, like maybe we named it after a grandparent and Marlo happened to be a name that sounded unique enough that uh, it's like, okay, let's, let's kind of like ruminate over this and think about it. Um, and then my little brother was going through you know, we're, we're all, we were all in on it at the time. And so he's kind of going through like old photographs of my grandparents and he finds a piece of music that, uh, my grandfather, which he was, he was, a, a choir director and composed a bunch of music. 
And so he okay. wrote a piece of music for my parents' wedding. And on it was like his signature, which I ended up using for the brand. So it's like this, um, it's his signature from a piece of music he composed for my parents' wedding. So the font design, the Marlowe font is actually like signature based off of, of that. Yep. Yep. Oh, that's pretty awesome, man. That's very cool. Yeah, that's, that's very cool. And, and like, so you're, you're moving into that space. You find out where you want to go, you know, 12% the deal. You're going to go in there. You're going to do your own branding. And this is right around 2019 is mm -hmm. when this is going down. Yeah. Like at that stage, you know, you're brewing like a system brewer. You're, you're pumping out a bunch of beers. What's that like? What's that going to be like from a head brewer standpoint of making, a brewery has an ethos and you're following that, but now you have to take on not just your own brand, but other people's brands. And how do you do that? And not influence those other beers the way you think, I understand ingredients and, and you follow recipes and stuff like that. But when you're talking back and forth with brewers and the 12% side of things, it's gotta be hard sometimes not to like, I don't want to say share your, 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 um, your, your, share your juice with somebody else. Like you're just like, you want to bring your own thing to everything you make, but there's so many different moving parts and that, and that, and the way that's set up, how do you separate yourself, compartmentalize Marlowe away from all the other breweries in that setup? It's definitely difficult. It's not an easy thing to do. Um, you know, I'm coming from a, a creative writing background. So a lot of, a lot of what I did was writing fiction. So that was putting my head into a bunch of different characters heads. Uh, okay. And then trying to like write from their perspective. Uh, so this, it's very similar to that where, you know, whenever I converse with the brands about what they want to do, um, it's all, you know, they're driving the conversation fully. And I'm just trying to get inside their head and understand what they want out of the spear. So that's a question I ask a lot is like, what do you want out of this? Um, what are you going for? Do you want this to be like a really big, thick, chewy beer? Do you want this to be really thin? Like what, what exactly do you want people's experience to be when you're having this? And then I can kind of guide them through there because I'm so used to the system that, uh, I can help them achieve what they're, they're seeking. And I try not to impart too much of my own personal influence because I do, it's a lot of it's subjective. It's like, you know, I wouldn't do that, but if you want to do that, that's fine. I wouldn't say that to them, but you know, there are certain <laughs> things that I wouldn't do, but and that's fine if they want to do it because you know, the beer is selling and people are drinking it and they're liking it and that's fine. And then what percentage, like if some, you know, um, people that come in and work out of that uh, beer project, like, are you more of a tour guide or are you more of a, like how much of their fingerprints are on the actual production of the beer when it comes to what you're producing inside of 12% for them? You know what I mean? Like, is it, is it pretty much just recipe uh, driven? They're there, there for brew day just so they can oversee the operation and you're just kind of turning most of the screws or is it a little bit more or less in either direction? No, it's pretty much that first one, you know, it's they're there to yeah. oversee. I mean, with COVID they, no one was there. Um, just yeah, very strict, no outsiders policy. And so, which, I mean, it was I'm sure it was very frustrating for them, but for us, it was like to keep mm -hmm. everything in house. Um, and then, yeah, they're just there to like kind of impart and taste through the, the wart and, you know, make these small micro adjustments as needed, which is, which is cool. Cause like you get to talk a little bit about each beer as it's being made versus me just like showing up at five in the morning and then being like, boop, 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 
and then all of a sudden there's wart, and here we go. Throw in some yeast, and let's get out of here. So it's a lot more to like actually think about the process uh, when they're there, and it's nice. And you um, you mentioned um, COVID. Um, it's got to be an interesting business model or, or, or setup that you guys have going because I'm not saying any business is COVID proof, but you guys are in a pretty envious position where you were as far as making beer for the pandemic because you were strictly not that you didn't have a tap room and you didn't produce beer out of there, but it was a lot of it was distribution based stuff that, you know, there's a lot of breweries and a lot of uh, people that are opening up breweries and, and starting breweries. And, you know, for in the grand scheme of things, 12% is relatively new that most of their beer went to like a tap room system and kind of everybody came and picked up beer out of that where you guys already had a distribution for footprint how much of a hit did you see did you guys just keep chugging along keeping your head down making beer or did you see a big flux in the amount of beer you were producing versus previous covid uh i mean i don't see a whole lot of that um you know i just basically make the beer i know when it first happened and the shutdowns were happening we lost a significant amount of business just because no one knew what was going to happen everything shut down you know it was just like i don't know if people are going to want to drink beer and then two weeks later, it was like, no, everyone wants to drink a lot of beer. So, you know, let's start ramping it back up. And then it uh, seems pretty normal at the at this point. So it's almost like a very surreal thing when you're, you, know, you wear a mask throughout the brew day. But then, you know, you, you walk outside and you're like, oh, yeah, there's a pandemic. Like, uh, that's why I'm wearing a mask. I, guess <laughs> I forgot. Like, I'm just I've been doing this work thing for for the past year. It's like living in a, our own bubble which is good and safe for us, but it's been, it's like really weird for your, your own sanity. Yeah. Well, is that, I mean, are you existing pretty much in a new England version of Jersey shore at this point, instead of laundry, um, what is it? Laundry gym tang. It's, it's brew, brew gym. And then rotate that every yeah, day. Pretty and much. You just kind of, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah that's how it is. Health? Yeah. And how, and your oh. brain, your brain is still, still there or you're just kind of losing your mind a little bit maybe i mean was I it always that my mind before COVID, so. <laughs> fair enough yeah. uh, but you know uh, you've gotten more closer with everybody which is great but other than that how many like, people are you mean, working with there? how many people you're working with down there directly uh we have so right now we have four brewers um, we just picked up another one last week, so we, we had two and then we've got another one over the past year and then, uh, brought on a fourth one last week. And then we have, uh, four people working in the cellar and then we have a whole canning line crew and then an office crew and a warehouse crew. And it's just, I mean, there's, there's a decent amount of people. What's the um? But we're you know what percentage? What, what percentage of your week is Marlow focused, or is it kind of like uh, every day? Every day is Marlow just a certain percentage. I get. I mean, it's like crossed over. I'm, I'm running. I mean, this computer that I'm talking on right now is like 12 years old. Uh, so I just bought my <laughs> first computer uh, since college um, last week, I believe. So I'm really step it up in the world but i run the entire thing from my phone so it's like you know basically i'll be brewing beer and then answering emails or answering instagram um while i'm doing that so it's like really weird this odd crossover trying to build a website right now and it's like i will get 
a day over my weekend that I'm like spending a couple hours building content for that, which is like the last thing I want to be doing on my weekend. Um, so not a lot of time. There's, there isn't a lot of time, but it's, so, it's fine for now. So let me ask you this. When was the last vacation you were on and why was it 15 years ago? Yeah, right. <laughs> That's what it feels like. I do get to sneak <laughs> out for like extended weekends once in a while. You know, I'll take two days off and just kind of like reset my brain. Uh, um, I have gotten to visit some friends, which has been nice only in the past few months. Um with at the seed down in New Jersey. So they've been a huge okay, help yeah, yeah. keeping me keeping me sane over the, the COVID. You know, we started off with like having weekly uh God, what is that? I don't even remember what it's called. It's not Skype. What is it called now? Zoom? Zoom meetings? Zoom. Zoom, yeah, Zoom meetings. Yeah. But no, they're they're doing quite well down there. I mean, I'm I'm probably I'm closer to them than I am to you. Um, me being down here in New Jersey and, 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 uh, mm-hmm. I knew they were coming up. I had, I had a collab, had a collaboration with them before they even began their, um, began their brewery, um, just started building it out. They did a collab, a mixed culture collab with the free will brewing and somebody else, I forget what it was. And it was, it was pretty fantastic. And I'd met them before and in, in upstate New York at a place called Eddie's Roadhouse. They were eating there one time and I, I met them, both of them there. And it seems nice. like, uh, yeah, they're, they're doing, they're, uh, New Jersey is welcoming them with open arms. So that's a cool Good. collab. What did you guys make? Uh, well, we made a, a pale ale, um, a little bit ago. Uh, and then we're planning another one soon up here um it's gonna be an english mild which should be cool you know basically just trying to get as far away from these double ipa milkshake uh soda beer hybrid beers as possible and actually make some beer flavored beer yeah well let's speak to that i mean and spin it back towards like strictly marlowe stuff i mean you know i've had I've run the gamut from loggers to um, milds to the bulk of the stuff I've had from you um, off the shelf has been, you know, low ABV hop forward stuff. I won't even call it hazies because I think I had a West coast influenced mm-hmm. um, beer by mm-hmm. you not too long ago. And it seems like you focus in that wheelhouse and we talked about that, but it's like you said you, that's kind of brought to you by working at Ken Falls, looking about the low ABV stuff and enjoying it and being something that you really want to drink yourself. So you produce it. A lot of people kind of, I don't know, say that it's it's too hard. Not technically, which it is, but I mean to sell, to get into people's hands. But every time I see somebody talk about your brewery, whether it be on social media in real life, they really enjoy those kind of things. Where do you think that comes from? Like the mindset that like the English mild isn't going to sell, but if certain people make an English mild, it sells. Is it is it, is it you're selling the sizzle or is it you're just making good beer? It comes down to just making good beer and doing doing what needs to be done to create it. Cause some people just won't even go there. I think, uh, I definitely think this is going to sound egotistical, but I think it's just making better beer, honestly, yeah. and doing a ton of research and obsessing over it and talking to the right people, um, for years, honestly, like the first loggers I made were okay. Um, and I wasn't making them at Marlowe, but I spent years and years and years and years talking to the right people. Um, about the right things and not stealing things, but just discussing more conceptually, like what this should be and how to approach this, uh, that being logger making, that it just kind of resonated with me. 
and so when it was time to do it my own, I had a, a good foundation of like what I was trying to represent versus like trying to recreate. So um, I think that's that's what people are, are missing is they they just get so hyped up with these beers that sell very quickly and they make so much of it that they forget that you can make other beer and make it well and learn how to make it well. So that when they try to make those beers because they want to drink them, they're just like, oh, I don't even know how to do this, but I'm just gonna, it should be easy enough. So I'm just going to just throw this yeah. together a little bit. And it comes out and it's like, nah, you know, it's a lot more nuanced into this than, <laughs> than, uh, <laughs> than people are giving it to. Uh, so. Wait, beer, beer flavored beer is, beer flavored beer is hard to make. What are you talking it's about? Super hard That's to make. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. What are you gonna do? Um, do you guys have? Uh, do you have? Is the lagering setup that you have up there like? Is it like just uh like some cold fermenters, or do you have like horizontal tanks or anything like that, or is it just like you have temperature temperature control up there and you do like lagering inside? Because I don't see a ton of lager stuff come out at twelve percent, but I know you do some. Right. We. Uh, it's all vertical um conical fermenters um and then i just throw it into one of those and then let it sit in there for a while to quote dan suarez when i asked him why he didn't have any horizontals he once said to me uh it's because i'm an american brewer and i brew lagers into vertical tanks and i was like oh okay well there you go okay. yeah but so many american brewers go hectoliter so that i'm confused i don't know um if you were going to set up, so I, you know, it'd be, it'd be really, you know, you're in a great setup. You have an awesome uh, facility at your fingertips. You could do pretty much whatever you do, but if, and when the day would come to where you open your own place, which I, I'm sure that's your aspiration to do. So at some point, what do you think the, the brand and what you make right now and the beers that you make right now would shift in a different direction? Would you do more mixed culture stuff? Would you do, would you do like big burly, like pastry stouts or even just like barley wine, old age barley wine, or what you're doing right now is what you want to do. And you just expand on that or better both. Probably just expand, probably just expand on this. Um, you know, I'd, I'd want to have a food program as well, a minimal food program to pair with the beers. So it wasn't just all beer driven, you know, make food that is as good as the beer is. So, you know, just have a place for people to, that they could come and enjoy and spend an afternoon with their friends or family, uh, eating incredible food and uh, drinking incredible beer. I mean, that'd be the dream. If I can pull that off, that'd be awesome. We'll see. Um, and then I think a lot more mixed culture. That's really where my passion lies, um, is doing mixed firm beers and tying local ingredients uh, more into the beer and creating uh, just a deeper story behind each beer that's being made rather than just throwing new hops into something or um, trying to tell a story that doesn't exactly connect with the beer, whereas you can tell a much deeper story with, with each of the, the mixed room beers. Now you spoke about the food earlier. You're like, not that you're a chef or you're a big, like, um, you know, food person as far as creation of food, but you enjoy the pairing of food and beer. Does that come from any place other than drinking beer and eating food and loving the shit out of it? Or was that instilled by somebody specifically and or a certain experience or something like that? I've always been uh, a person who wanted to help my mom in the kitchen growing up. It was a huge passion of mine. Just every time we get a chance, but just like help her out. Um, I've come from a large family, so I have a bunch of brothers, and no one else really had this like passion for for cooking. Um, so I was always like the guy that my mom leaned on, 
And then uh, when I started working at Voodoo, I actually started in the kitchen. It was like the oh, they okay. had an open position there, and I just kind of like was like, yeah, I'll just do whatever, like literally whatever you want. Um, they're like, well, our our chef needs a sous chef, so you can do that. I was like, okay, cool. And I learned a ton from him. He was a you know, it was a very small kitchen, but the food was phenomenal, and it was just. And so much, I have been able to 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 uh, be there. But um, I actually ran their kitchen for a brief, a very brief period of time, and that's when I realized that I did not want to be a chef with my life. Um, <laughs> I wanted to be a brewer. Yeah, I mean, it's well, it's it, it, sort of a lateral move to a certain extent. I mean, chef is. I'm not saying brewing is not hard, but being a chef is insanity like you're just you have right. to have some kind of sadomasochistic kind of thing about you to be a chef and 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 uh, uh. anyway i grew up in my family owned restaurants uh when i was younger and i just never wanted to live in that world but so i can see where you're coming from there yeah it's hard but, um, it sucks <laughs> yeah and so that's cool i mean i had a friend of mine that actually were uh, lived from millvale so i know the i don't know the area well but um, I've been out there quite a bit, and Voodoo is kind of an establishment out there. Like, did, when you left, when you worked there, how much brewing experience did you get, like, from working at Voodoo? Like, what did you do there? That is that what piqued your interest? Obviously, it had to be piquing your interest from uh, to get you into beer. Like, how long were you there for? I was there for two and a half years, I think. Um, I did no brewing um, whatsoever. I was kind of uh, walking into it completely as a noob. Um, I walked in the door. Which has, on which has its advantages. It has to because oh, yeah. know, unlearning bad habits is way harder than exactly. you know, teaching new good habits. Yeah. So I walked in and it was just like, I want to work here. And they were like, yeah, everyone wants to work here. And I was like, yeah, but I work for free. <laughs> and they were like, really? And I was like, yeah. So I started working on the bottling line, uh, which I did every week when I worked there, uh, I would wash kegs. I would fill kegs. Um, I got to like watch one beer be made all the way through the process, which is, which is cool. Um, kind of learned how to like wash tanks, but it was mostly like just washing tanks on the outside so that the place looked pretty. Uh, but the majority of my life was just washing kegs and filling kegs and doing like assistant manager stuff and helping out in the kitchen and bartending um just general maintenance around the pub nice and then uh have you gone out there and worked with those guys since uh yeah um i tried to like join the military at one point <laughs> in this in the past okay. 10 years uh so i moved back home to enlist and uh they were building out their their new facility and so um i got to help you know just part-time whenever they needed somebody to like have an extra set of hands like running the glycol lines or doing insulation and um, basically whatever needed to get done uh, help them get that production facility up and running that's what I was doing but yeah still nice. tight with them I like those guys a lot that's awesome man um, let's talk about uh, eager to share for a little bit like has that always been like your kind of a beer that you thought up from a while ago or had an idea about what you're going to make and then purposely made that like 
your what I would call your flagship beer for for lack of a better term. Like, has that always been the plan with that beer? Or is that something you just kind of ended up being that beer for you? I think it just ended up being that way. Um, I've been kind of tinkering with this recipe for uh, the past few years. I made it. I made a very similar. Eh, I wouldn't say it's similar, but a variation of it when I was first at Kent Falls. Uh, it was a single hot pale ale, and it came out awesome. And I was like, "Oh, like this works." So maybe I could expand a little bit on this. And then when I was down at Aslan, I that was the first beer I made at Aslan. It was my first time ever using Rewaka hops, which was cool. And then when it came up, I was like, "I've been working on this recipe for a while. I feel comfortable with it." And that's what it was when I first started making Marlow beer up here. It was just comfort level on the system and with the water that I just like, I'm comfortable with this beer. Let's make it. And then the first batch turned out great and it was like, well, here we go. And uh, it kind of just took off from there. And it, like, what's the word? God damn, I lost my train of thought there for a second. I apologize. But um, when you like, the logistics of baking a beer like that, like is something that you, you probably produce that what every month or two, I'm assuming. Try to try to make it once a month. Once a month. Okay. Like the logistics about making uh, that beer is consistent. Do you try to nail it exactly the same every time? Or are you rotationally hopping that knowing that it's going to morph over time because are like you trying to basically duplicate it a facsimile every time you produce that beer, or are you understanding that it's going to subtly change from time to time? There are aspects of it that I tweak, um, trying to seek out different flavors in different ways. Um, I think the grain, uh, no, that's changed a little bit, but I'm just always subtle tweaks, just a little bit here and a little bit there, um, trying to chase after. The next thing that I'm excited about in a in the beer, where you know it's similar enough that it's going to taste like eager to share, but there's an aspect of it where it's like, oh, like wow, these hops are way more pronounced, or wow, like the mouthfeel is like way fuller than the last batch that I had, and so I'm just trying to like tweak things in a way that I'm noticing that um, that it's it's changing. But if somebody's it's a, if it's their first exposure to eager to share, they're going to have a very similar, if not the same experience that most people have whenever they drink the beer. And that was, that was kind of the question I had, which was like, how do you, how do you balance that? Like, okay, ingredients are going to change, but I also want to change what myself. So I want to tweak and I want to keep it within a, a certain framework so that it's relatively in the same ballpark as far as beer, but this aspect might change over here, but I'm also trying to evolve and change with a little bit over times over there. It's gotta be a little bit maddening at times because you know what I mean? Trying to aim for a target that static is, is difficult at best when you have multiple moving parts, it's gotta be equally. What's the word I'm looking for? Exciting because it's a challenging thing time to time but at the same time it'd be frustrating when you don't nail that mark like has there been certain batches that you get to share you're like man uh no it's gotta be yeah yeah it happens all the time but people <laughs> you know I'll get, I'll get comments and they'll be like oh this eager share is awesome i love it you know i'll get messages and i'm like what batch is that and they're like oh it's this batch and i'm like oh well i wish you could have found the one before that <laughs> or something like that like you know I, i'm glad that they're enjoying it but for me i'm like okay yeah. well Maybe I'm just like super sensitive to it um, at this point, but uh, I don't know. It's like 
some batches are better than others. It's true, but there's always that underlying mark of of citra mosaic, and there was two batches. Do you, uh, I'm still upset about it. Do you um? What I mean, you, you could say no to these questions if you want to. What was your um? What was the one beer you're like? This is this is cash money. People are gonna love the shit out of this beer, and then people are like i hate this car i hate it i can't stand it conversely what was the beer you're like yeah i hate this one and people are like this is the best one ever you have those in your pocket or you just kind of like the typical the typical artist who just kind of everything sucks and you forget about it and push it off to the side i don't think i've ever had that happen um with any okay. of my beers uh because they're all just in the, within the similar vein of just being a low abv so i'm just assuming everyone's going to be like i don't want to drink this and then, you know, I get a ton of Instagram comments and messages from people being like, hey, this beer is awesome. I bought a case of it and I'm drinking it all the time. Like, when are you going to make it again? And I'm like, that's that was like my ultimate hope is that people were just like wanting to drink this beer and experience it with like friends or family and just experiencing experiences and drinking a beer um, that they'll remember the next morning. And so people are doing that with my beer, and that's awesome. <laughs> so that's all I can ask for. That's the key, remembering next morning. You're yeah, doing these exactly. triple IPAs. No one's going to be remembered. I'd be like, I remember I passed out. You know what yeah. I mean? Where you drink a couple eager shares, you're like, hey, I can I function like a semi-mobile human being right now. Um, yeah. how, how much – I mean, well, it's a stupid question, but how much do you pay attention to the to that, to the Instagram on tap culture? You have to. You know what I mean? You, there's no way you wouldn't. You have to, but w at what extent do you do you push it away? Instagram, I'm pretty active on. I mean, that's like the only social media I have for the business. Uh, I need to, I need to create a Facebook at some point, uh, but Facebook is the devil, so I'm just putting it off and putting it off. <laughs> Even though Instagram and, and, and Facebook are the same thing at this point, but mm -hmm. I like taking pictures too. So I just like the the photo driven content of Instagram versus which is versus writing, which is funny considering I'm an English major, but uh, I just don't have time. I don't have time to think and write things out as fluently as I used to. Um, so I pay very close attention to Instagram. It's all, I mean, I'd say 99% positive, which is amazing. Um, and I'm grateful for that. And hopefully it continues. Like, please let it continue. <laughs> Uh, but untapped is, is a, another beast all in it, in, in and of itself that, uh, I was really closely monitoring and paying attention to. And then I've basically stopped at this point. I just cannot care anymore about people's opinions, um, because they're very misguided, honestly, you know, people will be like, this beer is perfect 4.2 out of five. And I'm like, that's the opposite of the definition of perfect. Like that's not even, like you're not even defining the words. You're just, you don't know what you're saying. And things but like that it, that are just weird. It's gotta be so frustrating because it's, you know, it's personal. You know what I mean? Like it, no matter how much you try not to make it personal, it's fucking personal. It's your fucking beer. Mm -hmm. But, um, but there's, there, there is, there is such good data in there. If you, if you weed through all of the bullshit, you can find some goodness in there. But it, man, that that bullshit is just soul sucking horrificness. Yeah, and it's you know that that whole. I'm not even gonna pretend like I know the adage, but uh, there is something about um, you could have 
you know, 10 very positive comments and then there's one negative comment and all you're going to remember is that negative comment. It's just, it, it eats away at you. And so I'm trying not to let any neg negativity into my life unless if it's like self-driven, um, which I'm very negative uh, about <laughs> about things. I'm very opinionated about things. So I, that's that's enough negativity I need in my life. I don't need somebody who doesn't drink lagers ever who decided to get a beer because they like the name and then be like, this is pretty good for a lager, but I don't like lagers, so I'm going to rate it one star and not realize how this affects that person's business. Boop, send. And it's just like, come on. <laughs> come on. The, only, only one, the only one better is better than that is the person that says, my favorite beer, can't wait to have another, and accidentally rates it like zero stars. It's like, motherfucker. Like, why, well, like as I deal with a business that has to deal with this. that stuff all day. Yeah. Um, so let's flip to that. Let's let's talk about drinking beers that aren't your own. Like like when you come home, I mean, you said you're losing weight, you're hitting the gym, so you're probably not chugging a ton of beer at home. But when you do crack a beer right. and it's not your own, who are you drinking right now? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I like Hill Farmstead and Suarez when I can get it, uh, which has been infrequent with COVID. So that's a yeah. misfortune because it's within driving distance. It's pretty easy to get to from here. Uh, there's another brewery. There's a few breweries here. Um, Fox Farm and Counterweight both make great beer. Their lager programs Fox are great. Fox Farm is ridiculous. Like I just don't yeah. even know. Like I get angry when I drink their beers. They're so good. Yeah, it's great. Great beer. <laughs> so if I'm going out at a bar, well, when we were allowed to go out to bars, um, if Fox Farm was on, that's pretty much what I would get. Or uh, New England Brewing Company, Nedco, like they make great beer as well. Uh, so it's like, you know, you want a classic, classic beer that's going to come out that's not super hazy, which is very appreciative. Uh, I'm very appreciative of these days. Um, I usually drink their beer. So, I mean, I'm trying to keep it as local as possible or just like the best vloggers in the world. You know, the usual yeah, stuff. Yeah, we have one of, uh, we have one of Nedco's um, um, old brewers brewing kind of close to me at uh, district 96 oh nice yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, i had there i got there i got married a couple of years ago i had um i put their uh colch on that was uh, uh clear beer man clear beer you know clear beer. Do? Yeah. i think it's the future <laughs> but i uh <laughs> but that future is pretty far off the um what do you guys got cooking at uh, at, um, at marlowe are you gonna start dipping your toes in a different kind of styles like while you're at 12 percent, like like is there anything you're making now or anything you're not making now that you wish you could whether it be something belgian influence or whether that you can actually produce in a facility there i just really want to get into the mix firm again um and it's not possible in the facility right now yeah but yeah. trying to make moves so that it will be possible um and i've got a pretty good culture that finishes out in like three months and it gets Ooh. pretty much all the character out of the wood and out of the yeast that I want. And it's stable, it's which is, yeah, it's unheard of. So, so we're talking about three, 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 three 3.5% table beers. Is that what we're talking about right now? Yeah. That'd be the ideal. We're like four and a half percent, you know, fine. I'll, I'll beers, take the high four and a half percent. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, because that's honestly, that's exactly what I want to drink all day. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want, I don't want Imperial Stout in 750s. Give me a 750 of a 4% mixed culture beer and I'll I'll drink that all day long. That's exactly what I want. So, yeah. And you can drink it yourself too. Like, it's two 16 ounce beers. Uh, I guess it's less. No, what is it? A little more than that. Um, and so you can drink that by yourself. Like you don't need anyone there to share it, but you can share it if you want, which is the great thing about the yeah. larger format beers and the low low alcohol content. These giant stouts that come in, you know, they're 15% and they come in a 750. It's like, who are you sharing this with? I don't have that many friends. Like I would be, be just so drunk. A class A drug, man. You shouldn't be doing that. Like yeah. just buy grain alcohol. Exactly. <laughs> No, it's 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 funny because it's you know, and it, it's probably the same hill you die on. It's like yeah, this high ABV, high ABV hazies. You know what I mean? Like, like my thing. The reason why I like eager to share and some of your lower ABV stuff is, is you know, you know, I get the six percent, you know, the pale ale from you, and it kind of drinks like a seven, seven and a half percent. Like it's impactful. It's it's delicious, but it finishes dry. It's not under attenuated, and that's super sweet. And that's that's what I enjoy. And people look at me cross-eyed, and I'm they're like, "Oh no, I like my beers to be nine percent and drink like it's five. I'm like, "Why? Like, why you want something that's super light and not really all perceivable? Yeah, it's just like what you just want alcohol. Why don't you just go drink vodka? Like, I'm not quite sure what you're trying to hit at at that point. But man, it seems to be turning a corner though. Have you seen an increase in um in 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 love and and buying of your relatively low abv beers have you seen people digging on them more the more we go or is it pretty much static um sorry repeat that question no um so have you seen an increase in people digging on your beers the lower abv stuff like it seems like we're starting to trend towards a little bit lower ABV kind of um, uh, fan base as far as not just pale ales but lagers and all this stuff it, it, it's eking there's a big swath of people that love big, huge, burly, hazy IPAs, but it seems like we're starting to have a little bit of conversion. Yeah, I think I'm seeing a lot higher sales for sure, without a without a question, because that's what people people are. They love to try things. Um, mm-hmm. They love to try these like new beers that are filled with lactose, or um, finish super high, or have like insane amount of hops in it and they love to try that but when it comes down to like the daily drinking beer the lawnmower beer um they want something excuse me something that they can drink all day um and so the lower bv i think sell probably a little bit better than the higher stuff uh, um not in such like fervorous amounts right when it's first released but i think over time over like the year i see you know it's selling consistently which is good for business it's what you want you want consistency you don't want just like these hypes of peaks and valleys and i think low abv allows for that and and um i have to ask this because a friend a friend of the pod uh, you know some that like comments frequently and and follows the podcast needs to know when are we going to see eager to share in in uh you know 12 packs and 12 ounce cans. is that ever gonna happen is that ever gonna happen? i would be i would love for that to happen i think that'd be awesome i think that'd be yeah. a very very cool thing uh 
Because you, you know, the, do you run do you run anything but sixteen ounce cans out of twelve percent? It's all sixteen ounce cans, right? I did a double IPA for my anniversary um, in a twelve ounce can, so it was a double IPA in a twelve ounce can. So we have the ability to do that. I, we don't have the packaging I, for it. I gotcha. I had that IPA actually. I just forgot I had that. Someone sent that to me. Yeah, it's been a while since I've brewed something that big. So it was like, yeah, it was okay. It wasn't my best showing this year. <laughs> this year, I've learned some things. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what are we going to do? We're going to do quadruple octuple IPA, octuple, <laughs> octuple, um, centuple hopped with um, cranberry sauce or something like that. What's going on? Can guarantee that'll <laughs> never happen. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just. just eight percent beer uh you know with my favorite malts and favorite hops you know so it changes every year so i didn't pigeonhole myself into anything so it'll be constantly changing um depending on on what i've discovered over that past year favorite uh favorite malt and favorite hop you work with uh besides besides citron galaxy (laughs) yeah i mean I love Nelson when it's good. When you get good Nelson, um, I think that can be explored in a, in a proper way, in a way that is so unique um, to hops that the only thing close to it is Ruwaka, and I think that's why people love Ruwaka, but it's impossible to find. So we have, cross my fingers, but hopefully a lot of Nelson coming in that we selected the other day that smelled incredible. I mean, it smelled like Ruwaka and it smelled like that classic Nelson. Uh, it can't smell like Ruwaka and smell like Nelson, but it smells like Nelson uh, <laughs> in the most classical sense. And I'm very excited to use it. So. And How often favorite do you malt? get something that- Sorry, what's that? No, go ahead. I interrupted. Go ahead. I don't even know what my favorite mall would be, to be honest. Like, there's there so go. many. No, I was gonna say. Yeah. No, I was gonna ask. Um, how often have you have you smelt a batch or like like picked up hops that smelled a certain way and you got them and you brewed it and it was bunk? You're just like, man, these suck. they just smell good. Multiple yep, times, it's yeah. Happened multiple times, yeah. You like smell something, you're like, oh my god, this is like this is it, and then it comes out and you're. Like, like this sucks. <laughs> I did not like this at all. So mm. happens a lot. So we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully these Nelson hops come out to be the way that I want them to be. Awesome, man. Any and uh, anything else special coming out of the shoot? You gonna do any kind of bottled stuff or just kind of keeping your head down, making drinkable beers and just uh, just chugging along? Yeah, I mean, still waiting. I have some stout aging in uh, Pappy 23 barrels. I'm just waiting, and I'll be waiting for a long time, I'm sure, at this point. Uh, So we'll see when that gets released, but I'm sure people are going to be excited about that. I'm excited about that. How long have they been in there so far? Um, Been... uh, it went in December 31st, so New Year's Eve was the day that it went in. Okay. So you're talking about, well, you've got a little bit to go. You're going to, you're going to, most likely going to blend those out, or are you just going to like 
see how it comes out in a taste, right? Throw it in a, a bottle or can and go from there. Yep. So I have E.H. Taylor, two bottle or two barrels of E.H. Taylor, two barrels of Pappy 23. Uh, I'm just going to blend those two together. Uh, so the two Pappies will go together. The E.H. Taylors will go together and then two separate varieties of this stout. So hopefully it goes well. I don't know. You never know with barrels. <laughs> they tell you. Yeah. yeah. Nothing, nothing like spending 45 minutes talking about the, um, the qualities of uh, of how much we should live that low ABV life, and then talk end it with uh, talking about <laughs> how these uh, pappy and huge barrel age beers are going to go down and all that kind of stuff. But um, well, you know, life is all about balance, right? So yes, you got to have your dessert yes. once in a while. Hell yeah! And that's and honestly, um, I mean, at this point, I know you're you're the same. I like to drink like five percent beers, and then at the end, I'm going to crack something that's like 13 percent. Just for fun yeah. at the end, for a little 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 nightcap, have something that's hair on fire and exactly. delicious, and and call it a day. <laughs> awesome, dude! I appreciate you coming on, man. This cool. is uh, very cool of you. Um, and like I said, I've been a big fan of uh, uh, the beers you've been tossing out there for quite some time. So it's cool to actually put a voice in the face to to the beer that's actually being made. It's always fun getting to do stuff like this. Yeah. yeah. Um, tell people where they can find you. I'm sure they know how, but um, let everybody know where they can find you and, and how to track down some Marlo. Uh, Marlo Ales on Instagram and website soon. You know, MarloAles.com. It's coming up. It's basically done. Uh, and then from there, you'll be able to, to learn where to find Marlo because I don't know where it goes. 12% knows. <laughs> and I'm just like, can you order direct? Can you order direct from 12%? Like could someone go online and potentially order to their house? If they live in I Connecticut, uh, in Connecticut, we do home deliveries. Um, we don't ship outside of state right now, but um, you know, you can, order it and then hold on to it. We'll hold on to it for like a week or two or whatever. If you're ever making a trip up to Connecticut. And I know like, uh, I, you know, I live in New Jersey. I work in Pennsylvania, so I can find your stuff in Pennsylvania. You can find your stuff in New Jersey. I'm pretty sure if you draw a path between us and 12% up there, you probably in every state in between. So I appreciate you. Come on, man. Very yep. cool of you. Appreciate it. So yeah, not a problem. Go.